Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of our PJs and Wine podcast. Our last episode was Blue Velvet. Wow, I screwed that up. I almost said Blue Melvet for some reason. Uh, but we have... Star Wars this time around. We're actually going into a franchise that is widely known across the galaxy, whether you're far, far away or just like right here in the good old U.S. of A. Um, so tonight we have a bigger cast than what we did the last time around. We have we have Eli and Kylie from last time. Hello. All the way from uh, Japan, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, we have uh, two West Coasters. We have from uh, the land of Bronyville, we have Paul. And from the Jazzy TIE Fighter land, we have uh, Tyler. And oh. then all the way from the UK, that's right, we have like somebody all the way from across the pond. We have Victorine. Hello. Hey. And we have, we have Mike. I forgot where you're from. <laughs> I'm from the middle of nowhere, smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, tonight, we're going to be answering the age-old question for Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Is it worth watching? And I know we're coming up on the almost the 20-year anniversary of when this movie came out. It came out in 1999. It's regarded as uh, one of the worst Star Wars movies out there because of, like, that's all criticism, but... Since it's been 20 years, I mean, does that still hold up as being the worst or are people just going like too crazy over it? And we're going to be answering that question and obviously a couple of opinions of the movie itself. And I have some trivia that uh, might uh, interest you guys. So uh, let's start with the age old question. Is this still worth watching at all, even if it's a Star Wars movie? I yeah. would like to play devil's at slight devil's advocate <laughs> right out the gate. I, as as it was originally and still is released today, absolutely not. It I would be remiss to mention that it does contain at least some things that would be useful to know if you're going to watch episodes two and three. But in my opinion, if you would like to experience the prequel trilogy with as little infuriation as possible... I have a, I think around two and a half hour supercut of all three films. And the only thing that is kept from episode one is the final fight scene with Darth Maul. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. Because then they jump halfway into episode two. Um, when Anakin and Obi-Wan go and meet, uh, Padme and, and you get that awkward my you've grown line and there's no flashbacks of when he was a boy or when he no was you never see the best part about it you never see anakin as jake lloyd you only see him as hayden christensen so the age difference between him and padme makes their romance more believable it helps the story and i love it mm. yeah, yes, put that on one of the most miraculous growth spurts in film history <laughs> wow did, did they say how old he was like the age difference between the two movies at all I think I he was no like idea. four year, four or five years younger than Padme, and he was nine years old in Episode One. So for yeah, okay, here I I found it. Sorry to interrupt. I found it on um, Wikipedia in Episode One. Don't you mean Wikipedia? Uh, actually, no, on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> uh, it says. 
Padme in episode one is 14 and Anakin is nine. Awkward. And, and how long is the, the, the time difference between one and two? What is the time jump? Let me find it. Let me well, go. While you do find it. Two. So while you do find it, what does everybody else think? Even I... as someone. Oh, you go ahead. It's worth watching as a standalone film, like something fun, something silly. Like not, no, it's not the best of the trilogy, obviously. It's not the best film in the world, but it's silly. It's fun. It happens in space and you know, whatever it's, I don't think it's worth dismissing just because, you know, you compare it necessarily to the other films, but yeah. I found it. Um, Episode two takes place um, ten years after the Tread Federation's invasion of Naboo. Okay, so. so there's like okay, so at least at least the growth spurt actually means something. So he's nineteen and she's twenty four. Okay. Meh, that doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, it's, not bad. it's not that bad in retrospect. It's bad when he's nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they don't really play into that in the movie, do they? I mean, like, there's that whole "Are you an angel?" thing, which is <laughs> that. Angel. Which they they don't really start the romance romance until episode two, which I'm fine with. But you you always, at least for me, there's always that vision of like whenever they're like getting into the romance, I'm like, oh, he was nine, he was hmm. nine. <laughs> oh no. I don't know. I guess. I kind of think it makes sense a little bit because, yeah. like, a nine-year-old boy, like, I mean, I've babysat kids that were that age, and, like, they've asked me if they could marry me, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. just the way a nine-year-old They're at the age where works. that's cute. Yeah, they're at the age of girls are still icky, but... They're getting they're out cur- of it. They're, they're, they're curious about, like, the prospect of, like, what is, like, love and stuff, like, all of those big picture questions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like it's completely out of place for a nine-year-old yeah. to ask, are you an angel? But yeah. it's yeah. how it was done, though. But yeah. also, is it us also looking back, watching the film with knowing that, obviously, Anakin and Padme would be together eventually? I is have a feeling that, that the hindsight kind of, dampens it. Yeah, I mean, is it knowing it before, like, even the film starts, that eventually it's going to happen? So do you see what's not actually there and just take comments like, are you an angel, and put a little more onto it? Like you would do with any film if you kind of know the subtext or what's what's going to come up later. Mm-hmm. That yeah, seems to that be plays into it a lot. Yeah, I have to wonder if that same kind of hindsight or just overall look a movie as a trilogy should be taken that way or if it should be standalone because uh, brief tangent on the sequel trilogy people are still highly critical of it but I have to wonder is it going to get better once episode 9 are we going to consider this sequel trilogy as a whole entire thing because when people talk about the prequel trilogies they still it still gets hampered by the first two oh yeah because that was all George Lucas near the very end of his directing career. Like, once episode three was done, he never directed anything else. Oh, I think but, like, he on did. A, on, a, on a major scale, I'm saying. On a major scale. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's, this was his last sort of major chance. And 
I think, what was it? He wrote the screenplay for episode one way back when he was starting with episode four. Uh, this was originally supposed to be like the first movie, uh, but it didn't happen. So he decided to go with the the safer option sort of to introduce the whole series. Because in some aspects, you know, trying to introduce it, we could, might as well get into the story of this whole, like the screenplay and the story behind this whole thing. You know, adding politics to a sort of franchise like this sort it is what was the main reason why so many critics did not like this because they were expecting a bunch of fights, a bunch of things going off. Like they were expecting the development of how Anakin will eventually become Darth Vader. And now we're just looking at him as a nine-year-old kid. And that played a bunch into it. Like I was like reading all these TV, not reading, but I was watching all these TV shows as a nine-year-old kid myself when I saw this as it was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So story-wise, I mean, really adding politics and, government into this really hamper it at all or is it something that most fans just don't understand in general I think people were expecting a lot of what they got in four five and six and i remember watching the vhs's of four five and six and there was george lucas doing the interviews and i can't remember who it was with but he talked about the prequels then so obviously the hype was already building up and I think you go into like people who grew up with Star Wars rather than people like me who watched them when they were kids and then had the prequels come out when they were kids, they might have been a little less receptive because they were just waiting for more of the same. What, you know? I, what, got- what I have found is that with Star Wars, kind of with, there's a generation with each um, trilogy. There's the... There's a generation of people around my parents' age who grew up with the original trilogy when they were coming out in theaters. Then there's my generation who, um, like episode one came out, uh, when I was one year old turning two. So I grew up on the prequels. Um, and now we have this new generation growing up with the sequel trilogy. Um, because like I'll go to, I went to two years ago, I went to Walt Disney World. And we went to Hollywood Studios, and in the morning they have, they had, I don't know if they still do it, but they had this um, First Order march where they have Captain Phasma lead a giant squadron of uh, First Order stormtroopers up and down the main street of the park. And it's, uh, like, you see these kids' eyes light up. They're like, oh, and I love seeing that. Um, but it's very interesting because you'll have the older generation just bash the prequel trilogy into the dirt and back because it's not, not only are they bad movies, but they're also not four five and six. Hashtag and then you'll not have, my star Wars, not my star. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll see my generation who like me personally, I can't speak for everyone else, but the prequel trilogies are the movies for me are very deeply and obviously flawed, but I can't get rid of my childhood nostalgia for them. Like, I remember I had a little, like, action figure of Watto, and he's a really stupid character and arguably racist. Like, I've seen people make that argument, and um, but I'm like, I can still see myself as, like, a four-year-old with the little toys, and I'm like, hey, this was fun. Yeah, Yeah. Joe, what's your take on Watto since he's uh, oddly, spacely Italian? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> widely spacely Italian. I, I've never had the character ever, you know, consider that. I didn't, it didn't really bother me back then. I mean, I, 
I don't know why. I know some people are like, hey, do you get offended because he's like an Italian stereotype? I'm like, no, if he was an Italian stereotype, he would have been in the, he would have been in like some type of Star Wars mafia with like some type of like, yeah. weapons, like selling weapons and all that. He would have been asking why you come to him on the day of his daughter's wedding. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah. I got, I got more of a Jewish stereotype out of him. Yeah, Honestly. like the nose. I'm like, is this the what nose? Is this? And also because like he's kind of like he's like kind of shady with like deals he makes and all that stuff. Skeevy. I like, never thought of that. I got more. Yeah, I got more of a Jewish stereotype out of. I him heard personally. Italian because that's the accent they did in the Star Wars special, oh, the Family Guy Star Wars special, <laughs> where he goes, "Hey, why did you hang that up? It looks so tantalizing." <laughs> Well, they say Italians and Jews go together like bread and butter, and a lot of times people can't tell the difference. So, yeah. um, the I mean, it, as a nine-year-old kid, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, um, that's it, what I was gonna say. I'm gonna give my two cents. People were also ticked that Viceroy Gunray was a stereotype of Asians. Yeah, yeah I didn't see like, it at first. Those are I can yeah, hear it yeah. now as an adult. I can hear it, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler, he dies. Does it really matter? Well, don't forget about Jar Jar, too. Jar, I know. Yeah, no, Jar, I... There's Jar Jar. Are we going to transition to him now? No, I mean, as far as, as, far as people claiming racial stereotypes. Oh, right? oh I yeah. I didn't see that either. I don't, I don't know. As a what... kid, I didn't see it. But then again, as a kid, my understanding of racism only went as far as Martin Luther King was a cool guy, and he did an, <laughs> he did an important thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't, I don't know what I don't like. Even if Jar Jar is supposed to be a racist stereotype, I don't know what race they're trying to represent him as, or whatever like that. You can argue Indian or Native American or something like that. I don't see it all that much. No, people said Jamaican. Jamaican. I don't yeah. get that either. Really, I don't know. I, was, May- I mean, maybe, maybe, but that <laughs> arguably, but at the same time, I still like. I don't know. Like, it's just weird. This it's a weird fictional freaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, race I mean, that you're trying to do. It's like it's 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 the murky waters that like that bad Netflix Will Smith movie is going through right now is because they try to equate orcs to black people, but like they're they're like we're comparing this fictional race of tattooed and thugged out gangsters to a very real race of people who aren't all like that, but like uppity racist white people think that they are. Not only that, they pretty much just, uh, I forgot, I think Cosmonaut Variety Hour said it best, how the movie pretty much says, racism solved, we're only racist to orcs. That, yeah, which is it was just like, really stupid. We don't have to hate black people now because we hate orcs now. And it's you know, and that's illustrated by like Will Smith being racist toward the orcs and you and he's black so and I'm like this is way too muddy of a water that you should not be trying to get Zootopia in. Utopia did it better. In the year yeah. 2018. <laughs> which we'll talk about eventually. But I mean I'm, I'm so excited. Also, if you kind of look at the cinematic climate of blockbusters in the early noughties, all these things about racial sensitivity and racial stereotypes, I mean, they were present in a lot of films, but we didn't notice it as much as we do kind of looking back now. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you were kids back then, I mean, there wasn't a sophistication in storytelling in blockbusters at all. It, it's kind of something that's developed over the years. But 
I mean, you could go back and look at any of the films, like The Black Driver and Die Hard and things like that. You're you're gonna find it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So to like dismiss the whole film because it has some, you know, racial undertones that aren't exactly kosher is not really, I think, fair. I think yeah. I think people like to pick on it because like because like people people I found that there's a like a wave of a comparison of how old a, a work is to how much we're willing to accept racist depictions of people because I know that most people now have gotten over the like the racist Looney Tunes cartoons yeah. from like the 40s oh. and, and and like and well, I got to give props to Warner Brothers time and it's so long ago and it, that's not the same world we live in. But it's like that there's a whole debate about the Friends storylines now. It's like, guys, you have worse sitcoms on television right now with more offensive stuff, and you guys are nitpicking Friends, which ran for, what, 14, 15 yeah, years? And it's canceled day. now. It's yeah. been gone for over a decade now. Yeah, so who cares? Enjoy it if you don't enjoy it, then just leave it be. Like, yeah, but there's some people that just can't. Like they have to get. <laughs> they have to be mad about it. Get their... <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily they're trying to be mad about it. They're just trying to push an agenda. I have to let people know how yeah. I feel about this work. Good for you. I'm so <laughs> it's why the internet it was a mistake. It gives voices to anybody, and when I mean anybody, I mean anybody. Yeah, well, I think that's a stretch. The internet is a very mixed bag of, like, uh, for me, as someone who has yes. grown up, who grew up with the internet by my side throughout my entire life, whether it be dial-up or modern internet as it is now, um, I see it as a net positive. Yes, there have been some horrible things that have happened because of the internet, but I feel that the good outweighs the bad. I, I like to think like so, it. too. Yeah, that, that's like a that's that's generally like what the internet is. There are more positives than there are negatives. Yes, the negatives do get a lot more coverage because it because you know that's the negative. More, it's an easy target. It's, 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 a, it's an appealing thing, but at yeah. the same time, that's only just like one thing. If you're mm-hmm. if you're if we've been talking about everything else on top of it, then it would just die down very quickly. But getting back to the movie, um, I have to. <laughs> At, I, well, no, I like the conversation, but uh, to get back into Phantom Menace, like if you had to pick like a favorite part of this movie, like what would be like the best scene in it? If that's I mean, kind of a dumb it, question, Joe. It's I think obviously Darth Maul, Qui Gon Jinn, the Obi-Wan, ending you know, fight. Yeah, I would argue. Uh, I, I, I would argue my favorite scene is the Minichlorian scene. Oh my god! Actually, here's a question. I actually do have a question, like, because every time somebody tries to say something positive about the about the uh, about episode one, they always bring up the pod race. But at the same time, people keep complaining about the pod race. Like, what do you do? You like it or not, guys? I liked it. I liked it. That was my favorite part of the movie. That was the only reason I went to go see it. Yeah, like I will. Yeah, like a lot of people will say, like you know, one of the good things that come out of it is you know the pod racing game and the pod racing itself is cool. But debating on buying that. Yeah, but at the same time, people get annoyed by the pod racing scene. I'm like, do you like it or not? 
I mean, I like it, but I don't know. It's just some people seem to flip flop on it. Again, it's oh. the internet. We, yeah. we, well, they we didn't flip flop over anything, and they. But can... we didn't have. I mean, the internet wasn't really prominent back in '99. I mean, there was people that yeah. were complaining about the Padres back then. The Padres is what got me into Star Wars because before that, I had never gotten introduced to Star Wars at all. My parents were not sci-fi fans. They did not like Star Wars the way that everybody else did. So I didn't get introduced to it until the Padres commercial came on a Nickelodeon cartoon. Mm, yeah, like the way my, my dad, he had the original trilogy on VHS and I saw them in his office, but he never showed them to me. So I, I do remember my first Star Wars movie was episode one. And I remember distinctly um, the scenes on Tatooine with with Jake Lloyd and like skinless C-3PO and the pod race. And that, that, that mm-hmm. I think that is my first Star Wars memory. And that's why it's my favorite scene. <laughs> I love the costumes. Podme's costumes were always like one of my favorite things. They're, they're very, they're very imaginative. I, I know a lot of people harp on it because it's like, what the hell is she wearing? But, and while that's I agree, awesome. they're kind of, they're kind of crazy. They're ima- you can't deny that they're not imaginative. Like, and that they don't yeah. stick in your brain. Like you they will do. remember them. Everybody remembers mm-hmm. that red thing with the whatever that collar or headdress or whatever she yeah. wears. Yeah, with the white mm-hmm. face paint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody remembers it. I just think that I don't know. I, personally, I thought they were just a little too outlandish. It's like you know, like I could see, like he said that it, he did it because you know Leia only ever really wore one costume the entire time. And like this was supposed to be kind of a joke on that. At the same time, though, Leia's design was just, you know, iconic. Hmm. Despite the fact that it was like literally the only look she ever wore, you mm-hmm. know, it's still like the most well-known thing. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I mean, I get that, but at the same time, I think partially it's like they were in a time of opulence. Yeah. So of yeah. course she had these great grand costumes. I mean, she was. In essence, a princess. I mean, not, but sort of. Like, I don't know. It's just, it yeah, makes I mean, sense for her to be wearing something like that. And then for Leia to mm-hmm. not be, because at that point they were impoverished. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same debate with the weapons and the technology as well. I mean, the Empire falls by the, or sorry, the Federation or, um, falls by the end of uh, episode three. So it makes sense that, you know, the technology, the costumes, all of it kind of goes downhill along with the economy. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That is a, that is a, that's a good point. Mm. Now, if you had to pick a bad part of the movie, Midichlorian. You had to pick like the worst thing in the entire movie. You I don't think pick one. Okay, I th- this might this might be cheating, but both my favorite and the worst thing at the s- simultaneously. Please don't say Jar Jar. No, not Jar Jar. All okay, of the unintentional amazing quotes. Oh like, yeah. Now this is pod racing. I'll try <laughs> spinning. That's a good trick. Yes, exactly. Just all of that. It, it's both the worst part and my favorite part. There's <laughs> always a way. There's always a bigger fish, uh, just mm. boss and ass in general, just... <laughs> just because you have, one has the ability to speak does not make them intelligent. <laughs> so, I love using that quote, and it's so relevant today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I was going to... I was going to... I was going to say, if, before we get into uh, some of the trivia here, 
Um, actually, you know what? <laughs> I might as well, I might as well get into it now, you know, cause I just lost my train of thought for a second. Um, so there's a lot of things about this movie that have really captured my interest while I was going through all of this last night. Some of the things that I didn't even know that they were doing behind the scenes, but a lot of it is, um, pretty relevant to some other, uh, some of the other films in the franchise. Uh, so there's a lot of them, including, okay, I have to just get this out of the way. Did you know that Michael Jackson was originally considered to be the voice for Jar Jar? Yes. I feel like such a nerd that I've heard of that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, imagine saying, oh, you thought, imagine the filmmakers today going, oh, you thought the Jar Jar that was bad? Oh, hold my beer. You were about to have Michael Jackson. Ooh. But we gave him to Men in Black 2 instead to have so. a few yes. ones. Okay, yes. am I the only one who really likes that cameo in Men in Black 2? I, I thought that was fine. I thought that was fine. He was totally self-aware yeah. that he looked weird. <laughs> I, I love it. I love he it. thought he was so fun. He's, uh, great. Yeah. He was a weird man. I mean, let's face oh. it. So, but the, that was probably like the one that cracked me up the most because I can't imagine how... Uh, Jar Jar and Michael Jackson's voice going together with sound. <laughs> I, I think somebody should do like a, a fan made like trailer so where it's just Jar Jar, but it's Michael. You've Jackson. been hit by a smooth criminal. The whole he steps in the he steps in the poop and he's like, it was something icky. <laughs> Yeah, you know, now that we say this, I'm glad that didn't happen now. <laughs> I still want to live in an alternate universe where Chris Farley was Shrek and Michael Jackson was Jar Jar. Oh my god, oh. yes. Oh. The reason On you... the next episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> Interdimensional cable. There you go. Uh, George Lucas said the reason why he didn't go with uh, uh, Michael Jackson was because of everything that was going on in the uh, the pop singer's like life at that point. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, he originally flew out Natalie Portman and uh, some other. I think Liam Neeson. They went to like one of his concerts to try to talk to him about the role. Wow. And, yeah, because at first they were like ecstatic that they were going to get like these big guys on board to do this movie. But we've got Liam Neeson. We're going to get Michael Jackson. This is going to be a great movie. We're going to get in yeah. sync. In sync to do the soundtrack. Yes. Oh jeez. I mean, John, I mean this. John, John, my boy, you just went out. Actually, I don't, uh, to, I don't want to like freaking like ruin anything for whenever we talk about episode two. But apparently, NSYNC was supposed to get a cameo in episode two. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew that for a fact. As what, like yeah. the next Cantina band singers? <laughs> oh no, they uh, did. Yeah, that's. Or is that's it going to be like playing themselves as uh, uh, I, uh, Vanilla Ice did in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too? Uh, <laughs> we, we, yeah. Well, we could talk about that. At, like. And then episode two yeah. of po- podcast then. Okay, yeah. Moving yeah. on. So here are some other things uh, throughout this entire uh, movie. So according to Star Wars canon, uh, Obi-Wan's hanging braid is a Jedi tradition common to all Padawan learners. Yes. When his master feels that he has uh, reached proper maturity, he cuts the braid with his lightsaber, signifying that he is now a full Jedi Knight. I yes. learned that in the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars series. Same. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, because a lot of people are wondering, like, why does Obi-Wan have a braid? Is he in, like, in, like, his rebellion years or whatever? Uh... It's kind of like the opposite of what the Japanese do. How when they're dishonored, they cut off the wolf tail. 
Mm-hmm. Ah. Now, in this one, it is a sign of honor to get it cut. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense because Anakin has a braid in episode two anyway, so I yeah. thought it was kind of implied, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So Natalie Portman missed the premiere party in New York City because she had to go home to study for her high school final exams. <laughs> Dang. I think that's a, still a good choice, though. Yeah. This is, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And if it's New York, that means she has other chances, right? Can't she just fly over to Hollywood and just see the Hollywood premiere? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, she could have just got done with uh, all her exams and then just flown out to when they actually debuted it on the first weekend. Yeah. Because that's how Mm. it usually works. Like, New York gets first dibs on premiere, and then every other state then gets the movie. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Because they do that with, like, all these... uh, they do that with all these major uh, movies that come out. They start in New York, and then they do in Los Angeles. Unless your movie was heavily panned by critics, and then they're just going to hold it for as long as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it depends. It depends on the – or if it's at a film festival, then they'll really uh, they'll really try to you know, air out the dates or whatever. Uh, so let me see. During the first week of the first trailer's release – Many theaters reported up to 75% of their audiences paying full price for a movie and then walking out after the episode one trailer was shown. Oh, yeah. Wow, I remember wow. that. I yeah. remember my brother talking oh, about that. Never heard of they that. They left and didn't watch the movie they paid for? Nope. Yeah, they, they, you couldn't, like, most people still use dial-up at that point because we're talking about 1999 when this trailer was You can watch videos out. on the internet. So you'd pay to go see a movie where you knew the trailer was going to play. Good old, and leave. Yeah, yeah, good old days before the internet. I understood that as they saw the trailer and they got so mad that they left the movie theater. <laughs> no, this was before the movie was out. They thought it was going to be good. Like, oh yeah, I I love looking back at like the opening midnight release footage of episode one because oh you can see all of these people's hopes and dreams are about to be crushed, but. They, there was a very large phenomenon. There was, I think it's like nicknamed the Phant- Phantom Menacing, where you go and see a movie that you're really excited to go see, and then for a while after you see it, you're in denial. You're like, it was okay. I liked this part and this part and this part. And then eventually, as time goes on, like maybe you can see it the second time, third time. It, it comes out on Blu ray. You buy that and you watch it, or it's on Netflix. And so you watch it there and you're like, I, no, this was a bad movie. <laughs> Didn't the same thing happen with Juno? Wasn't there a huge backlash after everybody gave Juno really high praise, and then like a couple months later, a bunch of critics were like, actually, I don't really like Juno. I, feel oh, like I, wouldn't know. I didn't hear that because it got a Best Picture nom. <laughs> True. <laughs> then, again, then again, you want to know who also won Best Picture? Crash. Oh, oh, that was very controversial back then. Because everyone was expecting Brokeback Mountain. It was going to break all these barriers that homosexuality was finally going to yes, be accepted. Finally, we're going to break this glass ceiling. Nope. Nope. Yeah, that was because at the time it was considered very racy still. Even though they gave Ang Lee like best director, it was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. probably all you'll get. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shape of Water is going through that right now because they'll give Guillermo del Toro the best director, but. That's still, it's still like very strange to have a best picture about a reptilian style man falling in love with a human being. Now see, okay, I'm about to nerd out right now. I am so happy that Del Toro won a Golden Globe for Shape of Water because 
now he'll even have more cred under his belt, and maybe Disney will finally let him make that Haunted Mansion movie that yes. he's been sitting on for eight years now. Well, uh, he's, already, he's already doing the live-action Pinocchio. What? Huh? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's doing the live-action version of Pinocchio. That is oh, a fact. Yes. I, I don't know if that's oh. as weird as Tim Burton doing Dumbo. Dumbo, yeah. Oh gosh! Mm-mm. I'm looking forward to that just because I love the, the like. People will get on me about this because I know some people personally who do like Burton's Alice movies. I don't. I like them for how ridiculous they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've never seen the Through the Looking Glass. I just saw the first one. Good. You don't have to see yeah. it. It's, yeah, it's no, a waste you of your time. Could skip it. Yeah. The trailer was bad enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, here's some more trivia. So sets were built only as high as top of the actors' heads and computer graphics filled in the rest. Liam Neeson was so tall that he cost the set crew an extra 150 grand in construction. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people, um, like to downplay how much physical set there was on episode one. Granted, there were a lot of blue screens, way too many for there to be like a good performance. But a lot of people um, say that almost all of it was CG. It's it's been kind of well documented how much physical and practical effects were in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. the reason he used, I think, so much CGI is because that's why he waited for the for the prequels as well. Was because it's kind of like a James Cameron Avatar situation. He wanted technology to kind of catch up with what he wanted to see. And then it was all new technology, so you kind of like nobody was really sure what the hell was going on. I think that was a little bit of case of that. Yeah, exactly. They pioneered like, so finally, much of it. Finally, I can get ILM to do some crazy computer stuff, mm-hmm. which which I can applaud that. I um, I'm always yeah, I think it's for pushing pushing boundaries, mm-hmm. regardless of what, because it definitely has not dated well. It it looks bad now in 2018, but back in '99, that was. That was pretty dang good. I'll th- yeah, I'll give episode one this, that I think that with the exception of some parts of episode three, I think it had the best CGI out of the, all the prequels. I don't know. Yeah. That's not, that's not, no, like, seriously, like, I've watched one through three, like, recently, and I would say two has, like, the worst CGI out of all of them. That I'll so, agree with. Two, two that, is yeah. just, and there's nothing three, redeeming about it. And then two, and then three... But and then three was like a mix match of like sometimes good, sometimes awful, and then one I think was just like the, ironically enough, the least noticeable, of like just how weird it is. But yeah, yeah I don't know, that's just there me. was so much physical, whereas I think two and three relied a little bit more heavily on just yeah, the yeah, I think yeah that that is yeah that could totally be the case because I think one did use did at least use some like practical stuff like Yoda was originally just still a puppet. Yeah, they wanted to go all uh, visual with Yoda for episode one, but they said that the the technology back in 99 was still not good enough, so they remained with the puppet. The only time that they ever used, like, a CGI Yoda was in the final uh, scene where uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda discuss, and, like, what they're going to do with Anakin mm-hmm. after Qui-Gon oh, died. That's okay. the only okay. time they used, like, CGI Yoda because it was, like a like, a very wide shot, so they were able to get away with it. It's it's interesting the differences between the original trilogy puppet, the episode one puppet, and yeah, 
I didn't know if we were going into spoilers for episode eight. Well, we're not going to. We'll, we'll yeah. get we'll get to it when we talk about episode eight. We'll get there. Uh, so, but, like, but yeah, there there are there are kind of differences. Like whenever I see the episode one puppet where he gives his like hate leads to suffering speech, his eyes are so wide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, is that just me? <laughs> no, I know I noticed that even and I did, and that was like the first time I ever saw Yoda. So I was like, damn. I was like, whoa. Who's this? Uh, so let's see. 20th Century Fox released the first trailer with strict instructions that it not be shown before a certain date. When a Canadian movie theater accidentally showed it a day early, they lost the rights to show the movie. Wow. Oops. A day early? Yeah, day uh... early. Because back back then, movies did not air on uh, Thursdays. They only aired on Friday. uh, The the beginning date was Fridays. Nowadays... Um, you can now um, stream it. You can not stream it, but you can actually show the uh, the movie in theaters on Saturdays. But you can only watch it two times: a seven o'clock and a ten o'clock. Huh. But back sure. then, you but back then you couldn't do that. Huh. As I've always, I've, I, it kind of reminds me of the Alfred Hitchcock thing that he did with Psycho, where he was like, after after the movie starts, do not let anybody in. If they are late, too bad. Oh um, yeah. I, I kind of admire that, but I don't I don't like that they just completely screwed over the theater. I Well, kids, you know, you know, directors back then were very artsy about their movies and the, the, they still are today, but back then it was like hardcore, like this is mine and mine only. Like I understand it, but I also don't understand it at the same time. Like it's a mm-hmm. mixed on it. Well, if we ever do like classic movies, like from way back in the golden era, there's a lot of trivia about some of that stuff that even baffles me to this day. Like, I never thought I would see that from some of these guys that are considered like iconic and how just a bunch of like pricks they were at some points in their careers. Yeah, like history has been kind and also not kind to like um, Hitchcock and Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like I, I've I've gotten into this discussion recently because of the disaster artist because Wiseau looks up to those two specifically like those two and the other people of similar ilk of like oh yeah these people were kind of jerks to their actors which means I need to be a jerk to my actors and my movie will be fantastic. Well, he even says in the movie, director is just a Latin way of saying dictator. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's see, Qui Gon Jinn's communicator. Get this. His dude. communicator is a redecorated sensor Excel razor for women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd heard that um, one, actually. I, I just too. love that because it's so creative. It's like, I just imagine these people going in and searching everywhere for the perfect thing to make into this prop. And they're like, oh, well, that'll do. That's a razor. Yeah, that's fine. Just mm-hmm. shh, nobody oh, will know. Thing. It's like that one prop that was like reused in like Starship Troopers and Ghostbusters and like ten other sci-fi movies. It's the specifically in Ghostbusters. It's the scanner that Egon is holding in the cold open scene in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, it was used in a ton of other movies as different little fictional doodads and gadgets. I always like that one because you'll see it pop up. I'm like, ah, oh, there's the thing from Ghostbusters. okay so the word lightsaber is never used in the movie and is ultimately the only star wars film that does not have a single character say the word lightsaber when anakin talks to qui-gon he calls it a laser sword 
Oh. Suddenly, I can hear the thousands of angry keystrokes of episode eight haters. <laughs> oh my god! So, when fully dressed and in makeup, Natalie Portman and Kira Knightley resembled each other so much that even Kira Knightley's own mother could, when she visited the set, could not recognize her. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> That's funny. So. Jake Lloyd has said that he retired from acting because of the trauma he experienced after playing Anakin. According yeah. to, according Can't to, blame him. According to Lloyd, other children constantly teased him. For example, they would make lightsaber sounds whenever he walked by. Uh, the situation was made worse because, in his opinion, the film did not meet the fans' expectations. Oh. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah, yeah, I, as... as, as mediocre as his acting is in that film. He didn't deserve a, any of he's that. He's just a kid. You can't bully you can't bully the kid because George Lucas doesn't know how to direct. Yeah. Go on. I'll say it afterward. If only he like embraced it and just said, I'll force choke you if you keep making fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm I I don't think or no, yeah, no. People knew by then. He's like, I'm. Dar- I grew up to be Darth Vader. I'm gonna be Darth yeah. Vader, fools. Don't mess with me. Yeah, I your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> exactly. Just do. If only he said that, or could have done that. Yeah, he like, probably would have been the coolest kid on the block. Yeah, it's like what could. What other like freaking like insults could they throw at him? It's like, haha, you were in Star Wars. Wait. What? We're in Star <laughs> like, Wars. And that's a bad thing. I know, I was thing. like, who, yeah, how would, why would you be, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, his acting was pretty god-awful, but it's not his fault. It's and like, it was, and it's still Star Wars. It's freaking Star Wars. Who cares? That's just the problem with child acting in general. That's not him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If it, I mean, this is just like, you know, freaking laser freaking shoots shoots in space then nobody would give a shit but it was freaking star wars like go back like to prove my point go back and watch like the first two harry potter movies and tell me that you can stand emma watson's acting yeah like it's, it's horrible any of their acting oh my god oh we'll go over that we will go over that sometime in the future but yeah I'm a what <laughs> a wizard <laughs> <laughs> I good when I <laughs> I'm sorry. I love your Hagrid impression. Thank you. Um, so in the Galactic Senate scene, when Queen Amidala is asking for a vote of no confidence, and the whole Senate's on their feet shouting, in the lower left corner, you can see that there are eight species. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember this, because Spielberg and Lucas were friends. Yeah, that's, he wanted to pay homage to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> were friends. Were friends. They were friends. And I'm I remember, they were, or I remember it was anymore. a. I remember there was a friendly rivalry between Lucas and Spielberg around. I I think it was the nineties. Yeah, no, nineties. Um, because mm-hmm. Disney built Star Tours in Disneyland, and he took Spielberg on it as like a pre-screening. He's like, he wouldn't shut up about it. He's like, man, Disney. They knocked it out of the park. This is a great ride. I don't think any other, like, they couldn't, no one could beat Disney. And so Spielberg was like, you know what? I'm going to take you on that. And so he went to Universal and built uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Uh, uh, Back to the Future. Uh, oh. 
Oh, uh, but did you did you hear about the famous bet that the two of them made? What? Oh, no, I think okay. I think I have. Oh, I think so. Okay, yeah. so way back in the day when uh, Star Wars was first coming out in '77, Spielberg yeah. said that Star Wars was going to make more money than Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which both came out at the exact same year. Oh yeah, uh, both their movies. So they made a bet. Uh, George Lucas thought Close Encounters was going to make more, and then Steven thought that Star Wars was going to make more. So whoever won the bet would get two and a half percent of the profits from the movie. <laughs> That's so ironic. They were That's going funny. against each other's movies. Interesting. Yeah, I thought I, I thought the bet was who can make a worse movie: Indiana Jones or Star Wars. <laughs> oh no. No, everyone did think that Star Wars was going to be complete shit. Like, George Lucas was yeah. like a crazy guy. I mean, but... think back. It's it's the late 70s. We're making this movie about these space wizards. One of them is wearing a helmet. There's this giant ball that can destroy planets. Like, what is mm-hmm. this movie? I, this movie I, is going to be horrible. Well, I was, I was more talking about prequels versus Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, oh yeah, oh, that, that one's arguable okay. to me. That was that was all George Lucas's fault though, because there's that interview oh, yeah. with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where Steven Spielberg is like, "I didn't want to make this movie, but he said let's make it." <laughs> so I went with him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it gives like, the scene in like uh, I think think it was Lego Star Wars or something or Lego Indiana Jones where at and when the movie's over they like the Lego versions of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are high fiving each other. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> I so have you can to say it's like a friendly rivalry of some kind. Oh yeah, yeah. they're they're great friends. Like um, I love. They're the, still good friends, right? The, I, if no. I remember right, yeah, I think yeah. so. I, yeah, I don't think there's. But they'll still take jabs at each other. Oh yeah. Because I, you do that as friends, you make you make fun of each other, you lash out at each other, you just do like all this stuff. This and kind like, of segues. Famous guy. This kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, one of my favorite things to watch in retrospect now is the behind the scenes pre production footage behind Episode One. Oh, um, yeah. Like uh, specifically, since we're talking about Spielberg, um, where Lucas takes him onto one of their sets where they built one of the dummy, um, or I forget the official name of it, the Roger Roger droids, and he's like, "Yeah, these guys are kind of useless." <laughs> and you, you just see like Spielberg like picking at it, like he's bending the arm. He's like, "Yeah, this is," all the, and, and he's like, "It's gonna be great." He's like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I'm sure it's gonna be great." <laughs> oh, like see that he's wearing sunglasses, and it's like kind of at sunset, but you can kind of see in his body language he's not really feeling it. But he's like, ah, "George is my friend. I'm sure he knows what's going on. I, he's got this under control." I'm sure I'm just not involved in it to like truly see it, and then the rest is history. <laughs> exactly, exactly. My favorite so, prequel is still that five minutes at the beginning of uh, Indiana Jones, and uh, oh god, why am I in the Last Crusade with River Phoenix? That is still yeah. those five minutes are the best prequel anyone's ever made. I think uh, it has everything you need in it. There you go, River Phoenix. So. Anyway, uh, here we go. The sound of the underwater monsters growling near the beginning of the film was actually made by a sound technician's three-year-old daughter. The sound of her crying was recorded, and the frequency was lowered to obtain the sound heard in the movie. I love that stuff. I love yeah. sound production stuff. <laughs> like the uh, the original blaster noise is like someone hitting a 
a wire that's extended. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. In a different sense, uh, for a while, um, whenever Ike would talk in South Park, it's it's one of the co-creator's daughters. Yeah. <laughs> so here's something. Benicio Del Toro was originally uh, supposed to be playing Darth Maul. But he left the movie after George Lucas took out most of uh, Darth Maul's lines out of the film. Huh. Would he get? Would he? Would he have given him an unnecessary stutter? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how it took them 18 years before he finally decided to be in a Star to Wars. Be movie. in Star Wars. Yeah. So Ewan McGregor studied many of Alec Guinness's films, the original actor that played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes, I love uh, it. He wanted to ensure that accuracy and everything from his accent to the pacing of his words. So he wanted to make sure he got uh, all of uh, older Obi-Wan's mannerisms down when he was playing the younger version. It does show. Cause he got it right. He's the best part of those movies. Yeah, <laughs> he, he really is. That's he like his top billing on IMDb. He has said that uh, recently someone asked him about Star Wars, about playing Obi-Wan. He says he's not opposed to playing Obi-Wan again. Well, no, because when they do the uh, the standalone movie of Obi-Wan, he said he wants to come back and do it. Oh, please, Disney, please. I'm cool with I that. I would actually be all right with I'd be okay with I'd go see that. I, w- I would I see would. that. Yeah. Yeah, they freaking better do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about the Han Solo movie coming in, like, what, three months? And we haven't <laughs> yeah. seen anything about it? Beca- and we f- fired uh, Lord and Miller halfway through production because... Well, we got we Ron remember. Howard, so we got a better director. Uh, behind I don't know about that. Mm. Look, Ron Howard is a, uh, is a... I mean, I won't say he's, like, a like a genius, but he has made some great movies. So I, I, I don't have any judgments about his, I mean, yes, he did make a, a crappy movie about the Moby Dick thing, but that's, I, I have full confidence in him. I mean, this like, is I think of the live action Grinch movie. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Like I, I will, as, as someone who I just found out since I just looked him up on Wikipedia, as we were talking, Turns out he's from Oklahoma as well. As one Oklahoma to another, I'm a little skeptical. I'm I'm hoping for the best, but prepared for whatever happens because I I don't know how well his vibe and Miller and Lord's vibe will clash in the final edit. Mm, oh, yeah. that's my well, worry. So we'll we'll see. But, it's like it's like Ant Man. Like the best parts of that movie are the are the stuff from Edgar Wright that were left in. Yeah. So Liam Neeson convinced George Lucas to keep a scene where Qui Gon Jinn puts his hand on. I can't remember how to say uh, Skywalker's mom's name. Oh, uh, uh, Shmi. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah. He wanted to keep a scene where he puts his hand on Shmi Skywalker's shoulder. Lucas felt this might be out of character for. Uh, Qui-Gon, but Neeson thought there should be an emotional connection between the characters. In an interview with Premier Magazine, Neeson defended this action, saying, it may be Star Wars, but we've got to have something in there for the adults. Hey. Oh, mm. what? Hmm. <laughs> That's well, what's little... so funny about that? I don't... Well, because he thought that Star Wars was a kid's movie. No. The only reason he did it was for the money. 
That's true. I like, did. It's a so, kids' movie. Let's talk about politics. Like I saw, <laughs> I saw, I saw a tweet like a few months ago that I agree with. It's just like every few months I remember that Liam Neeson was in a Star Wars movie. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing that I remember, and it's kind of crazy that it's a thing. He was going. He was going through a down point in his career. I mean, after doing Schindler's List, he really didn't do anything much after that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll do be in this big budget movie, and I'll just make some money off of it." Little did he know that Batman would eventually be around the corner and revitalize his career. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Ian McDermott was surprised when George Lucas approached him 16 years after doing Episode Six to reprise his role of Palpatine because he had assumed that a younger actor was going to play him. Well, that's good. I mean, he, he he was able to do it. Oh, this is... I, I love this little Easter egg, and I don't know anybody else caught it, but the Starship Enterprise can be seen briefly amongst the traffic flying around Coruscant. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've never it's, seen that. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the take a, yeah, you have to take a closer look. You will actually find the Enterprise there. So it uh, so Star Trek and Star Wars truly do take place in the same universe. Oh God, I, <laughs> I want them to make wait. A, I want them for... to make a crossover so badly. I cannot have... wait for Kirk to fight Obi Wan. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine him trying to do a captain's song? It's like we finally met the 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 Jedi. <laughs> we have found the society of the uh, Gungans. Yeah. The Spock goes. Wait a minute! You can force choke people. That is unscientific and illogical. <laughs> just tell him about the midichlorians and Explain he'll get it these, he'll explode yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah that probably wouldn't be a good thing knowing how much science babble is in freaking Star Trek they're gonna try to explain everything well yeah mm-hmm. cause you know that whole Trek versus wars is basically science versus religion that's how yeah. it's always, always been uh, put for so many years See, I will, I will, I can kill that debate in one sentence. Star Trek is science fiction. Star Wars is science fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so here's something that I don't think any of you guys know. Did you know who originally was supposed to play Mace Windu? No. Oh, um, oh, I vaguely remember, but it's missing me right now. Tupac Shakur. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Yeah. That's what it was. Tupac Shakur was originally going to be playing Mace Windu. And then he died. And then he got his... Well, have you ever seen him in a movie before? No. Have you ever... Oh, no. yeah. He's he's good. He's a yeah, good actor. He's a really good actor. He was yeah, like used above the rim. Uh, he, he blew everybody's minds away. It's like, wait a minute, this guy raps, but he's really good at acting. Like, if he would have just left rap music, he would have gone on to be like a, an Academy Award winning actor. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Like, Everybody yeah. said that about him. Man, it's it's all it's the Tupac story is so tragic. It makes me sad every time yeah, I think. Just just don't go see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, regardless of all the, I mean, I mean, there's like there's one scene in the movie where they try to show off like Tupac acting in front of a crowd, and it's like he's reading off a teleprompter. Yeah. And he's um, reading Sha- and he's reading Shakespeare of all things, which makes it even worse. Oh no! Well, well, because you know Tupac was really big into Shakespeare because he like was in theater, and then he eventually did into rap music, and then he did movies, and then he talked to George Lucas. He's like, "Yeah, I want to be put. I want to be having a lightsaber, doing like many duels, and I'll probably even do a track or two on the on the official soundtrack." But mm-hmm. you know, he got assassinated. I in 1996. That. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't gonna happen. 
Uh, the uh, related to Mace Windu, it might already be on your trivia sheet. Do any, does anyone know what Samuel L. Jackson has engraved on the power switch on his <laughs> yes. lightsaber? Yes, I actually yeah. told Joe about guess. that. I love that. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Well, you uh, have to uh, say what it is for anyone uh, not listening. Yeah, uh, if I remember right, it's it's bad I motherfucker. Yeah, yeah bad I, motherfucker. I was gonna say something along those lines. Yeah, from Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, here's another one. A, a, few, <laughs> a, few, a few uh a few USC students took the Japanese laser disc of the movie and made their own edit. Contrary to popular belief, it does not cut out all scenes featuring Jar Jar Binks, but does remove many of his sillier and more distracting moments and makes many minor tweaks. It became known as the Phantom Edit. George Lucas requested to see a copy, and then Lucasfilm issued a press release reiterating that it is illegal to copy and or edit a Lucasfilm property. Oh, God. Oh, oh rude. Okay. He just I, didn't like it. He just didn't like what they did. I do have that my, my supercut that's just over two hours is called like, the file that I have. I forget where I got it, but it says Star Wars 1 through 3, a Phantom Edit, 1080p. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Yeah. Right, and also, like anybody who says Jar Jar is the worst part of freaking the prequels, please go. Just, just stop. He's harmless. Knock it's, the fuck off. He's here for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> just, yes. just like the Ewoks he are here for the kids, for the and, and just like the Porgs are here for the kids. Yeah. It's like for also, I didn't find the Ewoks that bad. I didn't find the Porgs that bad. Oh come on. Knock the knock the fuck off. Forget. All right. <laughs> I love Porgs. They don't. They're anim- They're animals. They're not a sentient species like the Ewoks. They said, mm-hmm. uh, "If I, I, yeah. I, I, I have question. I'm, I'm questioning the validity of this story. But they have said that the only reason that the Porgs are in the movie in Episode Eight are because the island that they were filming all of those scenes on, um, there were thousands of puffins that are native there, and it would be too hard to digitally remove them. So instead, they just replaced them with Porgs." That's, well, that's, that's, what that's, what that's what I've heard. I've heard the same thing. I, I, it's I, not like how there's an iguana walking around on Dagobah in episode 5. <laughs> <laughs> so, one last trivia and then we're going to end the episode uh, for tonight. Um, so, do you guys know about the whole Easter egg options menu thing in all the Star Wars movies? No. 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 So, and the options menu... Uh, there's these little Easter eggs that you can put. And so when you go to the options menu in the DVD Blu-ray River, you key in 11, 3, and 8. You put in those three numbers oh. on any of these movies. And then when you finally do, you'll see bloopers of R2-D2 falling in the Episode 1 DVD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> that's really clever. That's, yeah. that's a reference to THX 1138. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty big in all the other DVDs of the of the movies. They all have different ones, uh, but I'll explain them more as we do the episodes in further detail. So, everybody, that is it for our little discussion on episode one. Next time we'll do Attack of the Clones. So it's a little it's a little upgrade, according to some people. For some, it might not, especially especially if you don't like sand. I we'll finally get to air my grievances about sand. I'm so excited. <laughs> 
So uh, for everybody that joined us tonight, uh, thank you all for coming on board and doing being a part of this. And for everybody listening out there, thank you for listening. And until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.